All right, Joanna Nathan. We heard earlier in the show about comedian Lenny Bruce. So how about some more comedy? Yes. <laughs> I'm in. Okay. Here's writer Melissa Moore with a joke. It's about a man who is overseas, and he, he comes back to his family, and his family asks, you know, well, how, how was it? How was your tour? And he's, you know, he's been fighting in World War II, and it's just, it's, it's been terrible. You know, honestly, he's seen all these people die. He's seen starvation. He's seen, you know, just the most horrible things. But, you know, it's his grandma asking, and he doesn't want to tell her about this, so he says, well— you know, the, the boys sure were funny, Grandma. They they just told a lot of good jokes. And his family says, oh, tell us one, tell us one. And he says, well, gosh, I don't know if I can tell you one because the boys also used a lot of bad language. And then they say, okay, well, just just say if you come to a bad word, just say blank. You know, just, just skip it, say blank, and then tell us a joke. And he says, okay, okay, I'll do that. So he starts telling his joke, and he says, blank, 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 blankety, blank, blank. Blanking, blinking, blank, 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 blankety, blank, blank, fuck. <laughs> Here's more again on why she gets a laugh out of that. Oh, I just love the idea that there are, you know, worse words than fuck. You know, what are all these words that he's got in there that have more power than, <laughs> than fuck? Joanne, Nathan, want to take any guesses at what the other words might be? <laughs> the bottom <laughs> Did you both go to Catholic schools? <laughs> well, look, that's as good a guess as any. So, in reality, this joke features a soldier coming back from World War II with a foul mouth. And I'm guessing this was a pretty common thing for soldiers to bring back the colorful language heard in their barracks. You got it, Joanne. A few years ago, Moore published a book about the history of swearing. And she says that during the 20th century, the two world wars punctuated a rise in profanity. The language of soldiers when they came back home after World War I and World War II, that they really brought swearing into the public discourse in a way that it hadn't been before. So in the Victorian period, there were lots of people saying fuck and fucking, and, but it really was not at all present in public discourse. It was, you know, extremely, extremely taboo. And when you get people coming back from World War I, they would write memoirs, and they'd use some of this language that they, you know, were using on the battlefield in their in their memoirs, especially after World War II as well. You get, you know, reporters who are trying to really give people a flavor of what it was like. And what it was like was a lot of, lot of bad language. Do you have any sense of what the response on the home front was when these soldiers started coming back and cursing like soldiers? Well, I think at first it was a little bit of denial, not wanting to accept that this is what the, the language was. And so the very first memoirs have all the curse words bleeped out, or they have kind of commentary uh, saying, huh. oh, well, this language, although this is the language huh. they were using, oh my goodness, this is uh, this is horrible. How could this be? But then going on and, and printing. So um, Norman Mailer had wrote a, a memoir in 1948. He's got, you know, tremendous number of fucks in there, but he spells yes. it fug, <laughs> F-U-G. Huh. People attribute it to different people, but Tallulah Bankhead, she um, she was famously quipped, you know, when she met him, oh, you're the man who can't spell fuck. <laughs> now, look, jokes and memoirs weren't the only way soldiers expressed their vulgar vocabulary. 
This is a popular song from World War II that expresses a lot of the feelings of helplessness, but also rage that soldiers would have, you know, stuck in this bureaucracy, seeing all these horrible things, participating in all these, you know, incredibly difficult things. And it's called Fuck Em All. And it goes, sorry, I'm a terrible singer, but it goes basically, fuck em all, fuck em all, the long and the short and the tall. You'll get no promotion this side of the ocean, so cheer up, my lads, fuck em all. That's part of the course. <laughs> kind of zingy. <laughs> <laughs> it's speechless. He's, he's worried his seventh grade <laughs> teacher is coming out from behind the, the curtain. So I'll admit, that when I first heard the blankety-blank joke from earlier, I thought about another 20th century comedian who was notorious for his language, George Carlin. Oh, you had a master. Aha. So I asked more where Carlin fits into all of this when he starts to take the stage in the 1960s and 70s. Yeah, that was an interesting time because the the sort of counterculture of the 60s, in a way, sort of finished off what, you know, the greatest generation started, the people coming back, the soldiers coming back, brought this language into the public sphere. And then in the 60s and 70s, it really started becoming more prevalent. And so George Carlin, for example, had his seven words you can't say on television, which are, let's see, let me count, shit, piss, fuck, Ah. cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. And tits is sort of thrown in there, it seems to me, is slightly (laughs) a little bit of an afterthought. But (laughs) so he, you know, had this monologue and he, in 1974, Three, a public radio station was playing the monologue in the afternoon and a father was listening to it in the car and heard it with his son and he complained to the mm. FCC saying, oh my gosh, you know, I don't don't want to be just listening to the radio and hear stuff like this. Right. So this became a, a court case that went to the Supreme Court. You know, can the FCC regulate this kind of language? Because it's very clear in American law that the FCC can regulate obscenity But this was something different. This was called indecency. And really, indecency is, you know, language that depicts things in an offensive way. And it basically regulates swearing. So could the FCC regulate swearing? And uh, the Supreme Court in 1978 decided that, yes, the FCC could ban these words on TV and on the radio uh, because they're kind of broadcast into your homes and it's, it's harder to avoid them. Which, of course, gave Carlin's monologue a whole new life. Yes, yes. And so people still kind of, it's still sort of a touchstone because yeah. now you can go back and think, well, what, you know, what, can we still not say these words on TV? Well, yeah, no, it became now we iconic. Can <laughs> now, the Supreme Court came down differently in a case uh, called Cone v. California. Can you tell us about that case? Oh, yeah, that that was another interesting one about swearing, where um, Paul Robert Cohen went into a municipal court, I believe, in California, and he had a, a jacket on and written on the back of his jacket, he had put, fuck the draft. This was at the height of the Vietnam War. I, I think he wore this jacket in 1968, and then the Supreme Court ruled in 1971. That's correct. Yeah, the court case was decided in 1971. And he, yes, so he went in there and and he was arrested for disturbing the peace with offensive conduct. You know, people thought, oh, my gosh, he can't do this. This is offensive to all the, you know, people fighting in Vietnam. And and so he was arrested. But in this case also went to the Supreme Court. They had came to a very different conclusion. They decided that this was protected speech. 
that the First Amendment of the Constitution, you know, says that when possible, you shouldn't abridge people's freedom of speech. Courts traditionally have been quite lenient about what you should be able to say. You know, they try not to circumscribe what people can say. And in this case, they decided that, well, fuck the draft. It is meaningful speech. He's communicating how much he hates the draft. And what's important is that it wasn't a what the law calls a fighting word. So fighting words are words that kind of by their very utterance inflict harm or they are liable to kind of immediately incite a breach of the peace. And so Justice Harlan, who wrote the opinion, has this wonderful line where he says, you know, one man's vulgarity is another man's lyric. And he says, well, if you try to make public discourse so pristine that no one could be offended, no one's ever going to say anything because people get offended. And that's part of having a robust public sphere. It seems like we see a lot more First Amendment constitutional cases uh, around language uh, in the 20th century. Is there <laughs> the First Amendment is called the First Amendment because it's been there for a long time. I mean, what is changing in the 20th century? I think they are a result partly of the swear words coming into the public discourse and people just hearing them in places they didn't before. And, you know, some people being comfortable with this language and and using it and some people going, oh, my God, you know, I can't hear that. And so then you get the legal cases. Well, I know why I swear, but I'm curious to know why people more generally swear and whether that reason has changed over history. I think the reason has been the same, even though the words have changed, in that swear words are kind of the best words we have to express extreme emotion, because they they basically are kind of stored and processed differently in the brain, and they are, they're more closely connected to our emotions. And so I think, you know, while in the Middle Ages, you might have said, you know, God's bones when you were really angry yeah. or really happy, you know, you were doing it for the same reason that somebody today says, fucking you know, again, for joy or for pain or for anger, all these emotions are are very well expressed by swear words. Yet when you characterize swearing among soldiers, you talk about swearing being so common that actually if you really wanted to get someone's attention, you didn't swear. I think the example you use is, uh, you know, get your fucking rifle, get your fucking rifle. When someone said, get your rifles, that was serious. Do we risk losing swearing special place by it becoming so common? I mean, I think we we are seeing the decline of the the sort of sexual and certainly the excremental words. So I think shit now is much less powerful than it was in the Victorian era. Fuck is getting less powerful. And then eventually, once it gets these very different uses, it gets used more commonly and then it the power goes down because you just hear it so often. But, I mean, I'm not worried about swearing in general because I think we'll come up with, you know, we're going to come up with some new words. The last time you dropped a hammer on your toe, what did you say? Probably motherfucker. Sorry. It's all right. (laughs) Melissa Moore is the author of the book, Holy Shit, A Brief History of Swearing, 